The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So my normal routine is to take Thursdays off because I'm not going to take Monday off. It's going to be a bad day. I'm going to think about what I didn't say, what I should have said, whatever. So I'm not going to waste my day off on Monday. So Thursday is normally my day off, and then Friday I come in and write the final over the sermon, and Thursday night I got sick with a cold. Yep. So Friday I put in for a sick day. So if the sermon today hits you like it was a fog in the pulpit, it's a mist in the pew, you'll have to excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm prepared to share from God's Word, and God's been good, and I look forward to it. I'm thankful that our God is sovereign. Our Father in Heaven is sovereign. Our Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign. The Holy Spirit of God is sovereign. Now, I don't understand how and why he permits sin. He's not the author of it. And even in my own life, as I look through, I see evidence of how he has worked those things together for my good. It's not fate. It's not all things just happen to be worked together for good. No, he works them together for good. And this is kind of what we're, we've seen in the book of Mark, and we're going to see as we travel on today. The title is Short Stories with a Long Message, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. As I was preparing this passage, I thought of the apostle Peter. And I thought about how Peter learned from his mistakes. Because I need to learn from my mistakes, and you need to learn from your mistakes. And Peter made a big mistake when he denied the Lord. Now, Peter is the one that Mark consulted with. Mark heard his sermons, perhaps. And Papias, the second century church father, said Mark relied on Peter. Because the chapters we've been looking at, Peter was not an eye, or excuse me, Mark was not an eyewitness to. Peter was, and so he shared it, and that's how we get this. Now, in Luke, there's this passage that just has meant so much to me, and I think it meant even more to the Apostle Peter. Simon, Simon, Jesus said. He didn't call him Peter. He wasn't the rock. <laughs> he just played old Simon. He'd already been told, you're going to deny me three times. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all you all. He sifted all the apostles. He had to ask permission. That, that's comforting, isn't it? He had to ask permission from Jesus to do that. But I have prayed for you, Simon, singular. He's praying for you, too. He's praying for me. That your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, you know what that means? Repent. <laughs> I can't live a day without repenting. You can't live a day without repenting. Turning back to God. Hallelujah. Strengthen your brothers. The verb means put them back on the foundation. <laughs> Remind them of the gospel truth, Peter. And that's what he did when you see him in 
Acts 2 and at Pentecost, and then for his whole career, this is what he did. He was constantly strengthening brothers and sisters. His very last letter, 2 Peter, that we have in the New Testament. And you know, perhaps, that history says that Peter was crucified and refused to be crucified right side up. He wanted to be crucified upside down. So this is an artist's rendition of what that might have looked like. And not long before that happened in his life, he wrote 2 Peter, which is an incredible letter. He keeps reminding him of things. He says, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you. I don't want you to forget this stuff. These are his last words. Look at this. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. It's a real test. It's a real possibility. Listen, I've warned you. This is my last words. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The solution the, of, of guarding ourselves is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Thank you, Peter. What would be your last words? What would be my last words? Isn't that something? You know, when I was reading this, I, I thought of a dear friend of mine. Ethel McIntyre was her name. Ethel, when I met her, had already lost her husband. He had died. And so she's living out the rest of her days lonely. She had twin sons that she adopted when they were babies. And uh, one day I'm with Ethel at the nursing home, and she's not long for this earth. She knew it. We knew it. And she turns to me and she says, Pastor, will you please make sure they get those cassette tapes of your sermons over here? Now that shows you how long ago it was. And I said, Ethel, are you having trouble sleeping? Are you hoping you could listen to a sermon and fall asleep? And my, she got mad at me. No! I want to keep learning about the Lord. You can grow in grace and the knowledge of the Savior right up to the last breath. Hallelujah. And that's a lot of what we're going to see today and what we've been seeing in Mark chapter 4. At the end of this little section, there's this summary note. We've already covered a lot of this in previous sermons. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And we, we talked about this, how, how Jesus taught those who were on the inside, those who asked and kept asking for clarification about the parables. But the outsiders, they said, ah, I heard the sermon. They walked away. It's so vital that we not only declare that we believe that this is the word of God, but that we actually read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it so that it can become part of our lives, the transforming power of God at work. And that's what Mark is driving at. Now I want to ask you, because a lot of what Jesus has to say, and we'll see it in the parables today, is about the kingdom, that he's king. 
And he's coming again. He's king today. He's on the right hand of the Father today. But he's coming again to display his power as he reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then at the end, he'll squash those who rebel against him. And then we go into the new heaven and the new earth. And guess who's king there? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So why should we thank God for the certainty of his kingdom? Why, why should we thank that? I mean, honestly, I can't listen to the news without saying, Lord, I thank you, you're sovereign, because I don't understand all the shootings here, death there, wars here, there, everywhere, personal relationships, the government. Ugh. Anyway, it just goes on and on, except I know he's sovereign. And I know he's a personal God. It's not up to fate. <laughs> it's in his hands. So the certainty of his kingdom really resonates with me. So why should we? Why give me four reasons today? Kingdom truth enlightens masterfully. That's a, that's a good reason because kingdom truth enlightens masterfully. Because kingdom truth engages magnificently. Because kingdom truth energizes mysteriously. I can't wait to get to that section. Because kingdom truth expands miraculously. So we're going to dive into these parables. We're going to look at them. And, and here we start. Because truth, kingdom truth enlightens masterfully. Look at this verse. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Now, we got to be careful to look at the context because Jesus says something similar to this in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of these parables he might have used several times with different in, uh, application. Like, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light so shine before men, they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And he talks about a lamp on a stand, and that's our witness. But that's not the context here. It's a little different. And uh, we need to see that. He's using, you know, idiomatic questions. And the first... It's very clear in the original. The answer to the first question is no. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under their couch or their bed. No, no, we're not going to do that. But the second question is obviously a yes. No, no. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? And, and the answer is yes, of course. That's why I have a light. Now, modern commentators have some really strange ideas. Dodd says, well, this is Jesus rebuking the scribes for their irresponsible use of the law. And then, and then another guy, Jeremiah, says, well, this is an illustration that Jesus isn't going to protect himself. What? That's why I read old commentators. Anyway, in the Old Testament, okay, this is important, God is pictured as a lamp. The Messiah is pictured as a lamp. And, and the word of God is pictured as a lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, a little light that just shows me what's the next step to take, and then a brighter light that shows me further down the path. So God is called a light, a lamp. The Messiah is, and the word of God is. Now here's what's really intriguing about the verse. Two observations that are really important. In my opinion... Do you bring the lamp? He uses the definite article. The lamp. Not just any old lamp. This is the lamp. 
It's Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. And I know that also because when he says bring it in, it's actually the verb coming in. The lamp is coming into the world. Hallelujah. He's going to enlighten every person, possibly for all who will listen and sit under the light. And uh, so he's supreme. He has all the supremacy. So why would you hide him? It's just like the new wine. It's brand new wine. Why, why wouldn't you taste the new wine? Well, you like the old better. I know. And the scribes and the enemies are trying to hide him. And there would be a season, we might say, it seems like of hiding. But it ain't going to last. Because <laughs> on resurrection morning, hallelujah, he's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. When he ascended back into heaven and when he comes again, hallelujah, well, no, he's the real lamp. So he goes on to explain this, it seems to me. By the way, don't hide your faith. You're not ashamed of the Savior, are you? He's not ashamed of you. He'd call you brother and sister. Sister. Brother. Don't be ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of you. Don't hide it under the bush. Mm -mm. Yep. So as he explains it, he uses synonymous parallelism. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. He says the same thing in different ways. And the hidden season is here, but it's going to be disclosed, and resurrection morning is going to do that, and then his second coming. Who does the uncovering? Well, you say, well, God does. Yeah, but you know what? He uses you and me. He's using you and me to talk about Jesus, to talk about the gospel. He's going to use these 12, well, 11 of the 12, and they're going to change the world. That's just amazing. Now, Jesus uses this same parable in a different place, and he uses it as an illustration, and that's why I'm just stopping to let you see this, with a different application, but it's the same similar parable. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. There are no secrets before God or with God. There, he's using it as a picture of accountability. Everybody's going to be accountable for what they've said and what they've thought. That's why we need the grace of God. That's why we, we need his mercy, right? Jesus is the light. He came to enlighten every person. Don't hide him. <laughs> Don't hide him. There's no reason to. So he restates what he has said before. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Why? Because they keep asking. Remember back in verse 10? They kept asking, what's the meaning of the parable? What's the meaning of the parable? Are you one who asks? Or you've heard it once. I've ah, heard that before. I had a dear relative. 
and I was trying to witness to her. She goes, every time I go to church, it's just the same thing. I said, dear, you only go on Christmas and Easter. Some people were like that with Jesus in the first century. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard him. I heard him. I was down there by the lake. Yeah, yeah, I saw. I heard it. But those who really have ears and want to hear, he reveals more too. And he does so masterfully. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, obviously, there's some paraphrase there, but that's the intent. I really want to hear. I really want to listen. Lord, I really want to know. And so thank you for enlightening me by the power of your Holy Spirit so masterfully. It's like a light on a stand. Isn't it amazing when somebody first comes to Christ, I've seen this happen so many times, they start to understand the Word of God. Like just a moment before, if you'd asked them, they couldn't interpret anything. But all of a sudden, now they know Christ and they begin to understand the Word of God. I thought to myself, since I was 19 and called to ministry, this book has been my whole life. I was a Bible major in college. I went to seminary. <laughs> Bill went to the same place. So, you know, we were both there about the same time, right? That's about so. We had the same teachers. But what a joy to study and look into the Word of God. And you actually pay me to do this. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a blessing. He enlightens masterfully. Now, the kingdom, truth, engages magnificently. The next verse goes on to say, consider carefully what you hear. What it literally says, look at what you hear. That's kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> look at what you hear. How can I see what I hear? Well, I think consider it is a really good translation. What are you listening to? What do you hear? What, what do you put into the computer of your soul? You should consider that. You should think that over. You and I should show discernment in our listening. When I was in school, I loved this verse from Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads to prod you on. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. They set a foundation for your life given by one shepherd, which probably should be capitalized. That's really the Lord speaking through the prophets. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Amen. There's just a lot of stuff written you shouldn't bother to read. There's just a lot of stuff broadcast you shouldn't listen to. Show discernment. Stick to the truth. So, it engages magnificently. And he talks about it in a simple proverb that they would all understand. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So, the picture is of a scoop that they use to sell stuff, and the size of the scoop is what you pay for. There's reciprocity. I had to look that word up. Reciprocity, you see? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a ratio here. The scoop you use, that's what you get. So when you come to study the Word of God, use a big scoop. Don't use a little scoop. 
because the measure you use is what will be used. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is a sign of some judgment coming. Michael Card says this, our response to the word of God and the measure of our attention to its use means everything. Barclay talks about how this reciprocity applies to our study of Scripture. Also applies to worship. You come into the sanctuary uh, not prepared, you're not going to get much. But if you come in prepared, you say, God, speak to me today. He'll speak, won't he? Lord, let me, let me show some love to some others. You're not here just to receive, you're here to give. Amen. And how about relationships? Again, as you invest in relationship, the measure you use is the measure that will be used with you. And God just gives over and abundant by his grace even more. So the outsiders miss Jesus, sadly, and they lose everything. The insiders find great gifts, golden nuggets, because the insider is not satisfied to just ask or seek or knock. They ask and keep asking. They seek and keep seeking. They knock and keep knocking. They don't just knock and walk away. That's what the outsiders were doing. When it comes to learning about God, are you willing to knock and keep knocking? Are you willing to seek and keep seeking? Are you willing to ask and keep asking? If you are, he will magnificently reveal his truth to you. The New Living Translation says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. There, there's like this tension one commentator brings. In the, in the first parable we looked at with the light, it seemed very optimistic. I mean, this is going to be revealed. It's going to be known all about Jesus. And it was very optimistic. Here's the realism of modern sinners. They just don't want to listen. I, uh, I was down there by the lake. I, I heard him. <laughs> and they miss on everything. Seek and keep seeking, you see? That's, that's, that's such a reason to give thanks for the kingdom. This kingdom stuff engages me magnificently. The more I get, the more I want. It's like chocolate. <laughs> the more I get, the more I want. Hallelujah. Kingdom truth energizes mysteriously. Now, this is the portion I really couldn't wait to get to. Man, I, I would, woo, man, here we go. The parable is unique to Mark. Mark's the only one who tells us this one. And the context, of course, is in the parable of the soils. And what I find interesting is there are stages to what's happening. The energizing is mysterious. Verse 26 this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. He planted it intentionally. He expected fruit. You know, that, that's the way he was sowing into his life. The growth then continues, and, and the sower doesn't even know how that's happening. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Huh. Isn't it like that in the work of the kingdom? Isn't it like that in sharing the gospel? You just don't know how it grows, but it does. It's so amazing. 
It's so very mysterious. The farmer doesn't even help. He's sleeping. <laughs> the farmer doesn't know how it happens. <laughs> I thought of Uncle Ralph. My great uncle Ralph. He was a farmer. I remember one day at my grandmother's house, just a kid talking to Uncle Ralph. He says, you know, we farmers have to live by faith. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We got to depend on the sun, the rain, everything. You know, Uncle Ralph, before he passed away, called the preacher to his bedside. said, I really want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. When I heard the preacher share at his funeral, it's the first time in my life, I was just a child, I wanted to be up there preaching. I really did. I was like, man, what a story. <laughs> so, thank you, Uncle Ralph, for being a man of faith, depending on God. Now, the growth, third stage, is in stages. By itself, automatically is kind of the Greek word. The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel of the head. It, it, it is it's automatic, and, and, and it's why the farmer has to be patient. He has to wait for this to unfold, and then the harvest comes. And that really reveals the quality. As soon as the grain is white, ripe, you know, when the sun shines, you make hay, baby. He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Hallelujah. There is a harvest coming. And it's all very mysterious. Jesus said it this way. He said, you know, the wind blows where it will. You, you see the effect of it, but you don't know where it came from. And this is mysterious as God is working in lives by the power of his word. And so I say to you and I say to myself as well, be careful what you're sowing. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So let the mysterious work of God energize your life. Keep feeding on the word of God. The church is a miraculous story. How else can you explain it? These 11 characters, I mean, really, when we went through the list, right? It was scary. And God turned the world upside down with those 11 who Jesus invested in for three years. It's got to be a work of God. There's no other way to explain it. It's very mysterious, but it's very much the work of God. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's happening today as much as it was happening in the book of Acts. And so we go to the last. And this is, this is also another reason we, 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 we give thanks for the kingdom because kingdom truth expands miraculously. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Now, it is. It's so small that you need 20,000 seeds to weigh an ounce, according to what one expert said. You can't, you know, you can't even see it. You know, it's almost unseen. And yet, when you put it in the ground, it produces a plant of 12 to 15 foot high. And the birds can be on it. They, 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 they can sit on it and perch in its shade. The Old Testament uses similar language 
In Daniel chapter 4, I don't want to take the time to read all this, but <laughs> the king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he saw this big tree, <laughs> and uh, Daniel was called in to interpret, and he goes, hey, Neb, I don't want to tell you this, but that tree's you, and you're going to be cut down, and you're going to be feeding out in the, <laughs> out in the pasture until you recognize the sovereign Lord. And it happened. You know, you don't find it in the records of the Babylonians because it's so shameful. They wouldn't want to tell you about it. But it's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then in Ezekiel, a similar story of, of what God will do, which what looks like so little, but he's going to make something very big. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Get in his tree. That's really the message. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, jump in. Hallelujah. Now, who are the birds? Well, the church fathers say, oh, they must be demons. Because earlier, I don't think so. I think he's just saying, listen, it's a big tree. Jump in. Be part of it. Don't miss out. Don't be like those who were arguing with him, plotting to kill him, instead of believing what he said. Now, very interesting, and again, I just bring this out so you can think of it further. The parable of the tree and the seed and all that is used in Luke 13. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, in this particular case, Jesus had just healed someone on the Sabbath, and they're criticizing him for this. So he makes a very poignant application. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So get on the tree. Be in the tree. Listen, the first verse of this gospel said this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. We're still seeing this fulfilled. The gospel is still impacting lives. It's transforming lives all around the world. People are coming to Jesus Christ. Some of them were such enemies of the cross, like the Apostle Paul. But now they believe on Christ. Hallelujah. God is building his church. Jesus said he would do it, and he's doing it. So, as we conclude, I want to ask you this question. My sister made a cross-stitch for me years ago. Does anybody remember cross-stitch? Do yeah, see? <laughs> Plan ahead, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. I used to have it for the longest time in my office. I don't know what happened to it. It's put away somewhere. What are you planning for? What are you planning for in your life? Are you planning to get to know God and His grace better? I hope so, because this revelation is real. 
When you believe on Christ and you know the author of the book, you begin to understand the book. And God's truth, his kingdom truth, enlightens masterfully. It engages magnificently. It energizes mysteriously. And it expands miraculously. So be part of it. This week in the Daily Bread, reminded of the story of Martha and Mary. And I don't want to be too hard on the Marthas, all right? We need Marthas. Sign up. <laughs> but Mary chose the better part. Jesus says, not going to be taken away from her. Would you be willing to be Mary? This week, would you be willing to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ? Say, Lord, teach me. I want to know. I want to understand better. I, I want to I have a deeper relationship with you. You know, if you do that, he'll do it. Because the measure you use, the scoop you use, is the scoop that will be given to you, and even more. That's good news. That really is. Dear Lord, thank you for building your church. The start was so small, it seems so insignificant, and yet it is so significant. Hallelujah, Lord, you're building your church. Your body, your bride. Every day people are being added who believe on the Lord Jesus. Some of them come from the strangest places like we did. But you miraculously revealed yourself and we believed. And our lives are forever changed. Forever changed and transformed. So Lord, now that we've believed, most of us have here, Lord, help us to grow. Let us learn more that we might apply more, that we might live it out in the joy of the Lord being our strength. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.